Hello, and welcome back to Creativity and Chaos, a 1L2N podcast. I am Amy, and we are joined today by the most handsome, most talented, most humble man himself, Michael. That is right, me, a pillar of beauty, a wondrous human being full of skill and amazing potential and ability, and oh, oh, so humble. <laughs> We're, you know, family going through the starting process, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, how are you today, Mike? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. So I started my experiment this week, so that's good. Probably going to fail, what, what? So that's bad. But oh, why do see. you say that? Yeah, a bunch of stuff was different about it than it sh- really shouldn't have been. It's not kind of what we planned for months. And then all of a sudden, the last minute, we had to change some things. And things weren't matching up exactly how it is. But I'm sure I can write around that. You know, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be a good old thesis. <laughs> I won't have to get a new one. <laughs> oh, man. It'll be, it'll be great. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can also write about the difficulties. That's like part of it is like, these are the difficulties that we experienced when trying to test this out. And I'm sure that they'd love to hear about that. No, they'd be like, right? well, why didn't you fix that beforehand? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, I did fix it beforehand. We just included it as a parameter for our experiment. You, you say we made the educated decision that it would be mm. good uh, parameters to test because it's not something that we had previously thought about. And wanted to make sure to include it in this experiment. You just twisted yeah. that it was like, we decided that this is actually a good thing for our experiment. So from what I can tell, there's other people who kind of just start experiments. And then they write about the justification that they wanted to make that experiment to begin with, which is totally backwards from what you should do. You should basically do a bunch of research, figure out a question, figure out a way to, to test that question hypothesis, and then do the, the actual scientific experiment. Now, this is, of course, in just there's two different types of experimentation. One's quantitative, which is numbers, like counting something, very precise measurements. And then one's qualitative, which is quality, which is like an assessment, like on a scale from one to 10. And the qualitative is totally different. But quantitative, what I'm doing, you pretty much go ahead of time knowing what question you want to answer and knowing what the answer probably should be mm-hmm. based upon all the research you did. And then you do your experiment to you know prove your hypothesis. And sometimes it doesn't. It's fine. But as long <laughs> as you, you have a solid, justifiable reason for it, it's okay. But a lot of people, it seems like they just do an experiment that they want. And then they go, all right, I'm going to find a bunch of research and then make my thesis about like they just do it backwards. So interesting. At least I'm doing it the right way. It's only going to get me kicked out of school. <laughs> You'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You're a wizard. Remember? <laughs> Everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so I got to say, this is going to, this might be an interesting podcast. This is the first time we've had just you and me on a podcast because mm-hmm. Tommy, Liam, and Missy all hate us. So they said no Confirmed. more. <laughs> They're not here to defend it, so. No. We have the text message. You can look at it on the podcast right now. See, everybody? This See, is the text yeah, message. That's... We hate you. So mm-hmm. for those listening, it is, in fact, a verified text message saying that they hate us. <laughs> yep. So yep. there's all the proof you need. Nothing that we could do. <laughs> but next week, when they're begging for that sweet, sweet podcast money that we are rolling in, <laughs> they'll be back. Yes. Yeah. The sweet, sweet podcast money that we definitely get. With no sponsors so and no listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Except for- It's interesting. Like, two. We, we're, we've put out, what, 60-some episodes now? Yeah, we've had a few bonus ones. We put out 60, 
three episodes as of this recording. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. You know, the crazy part is, is I I don't, I mean, if, if one day, 10 years in the future, thousands of people are listening to it, that's great. That's awesome. I'm glad. You know, hello, people in the future. Um, <laughs> Do we have hoverboards yet? Let us know. Yeah. Comment, comment <laughs> down below. I don't know if that's yeah. like a thing. Now. The very small. Well, I don't know. I guess we kind of have hoverboards, right? Inner magnets. Um, <sighs> yeah. Stuff, I, magnets I, work. Sure. Yeah, but they're like but, weird. Anyways, moving on. Yeah. What, what, I, what I'm saying in general is we have a very small listening base which is still fine. I'm just more happy that people are listening and trying to understand maybe the ideas that we have and the small community interactions that we have are really great. And the fact that we get to spend time together as a family, I think is the the number one reason we're still doing this podcast. Oh yeah. After such time. And then the creativity aspect, like it's, it's really, really fun to do the challenges and to figure out what kind of stories we can tell next and do some of the behind the scenes stuff. So yeah, I mean, even even if it's never a popular podcast, which let's be honest, we're doing a podcast about writing stories. It's not going to be like <laughs> Joe Rogan experience where you're talking about hunting and fighting and stuff like it's just, you know, it's a very yeah. niche. We understand. Yes, but I agree that it is nice to be able to sit down and talk to you guys and have these conversations about story writing because it's something that we all enjoy. Well, most of us mm-hmm. looking at you, Liam. <laughs> He likes he likes experiencing stories. I don't know if he he I think is too scared to write his own story because he doesn't think it's going to be good enough. So yeah. there's like that that weird he wants to be a part of things, but he's also like I'm not good enough to be here kind of vibe that he always has. Oh, we still love him, yeah. but it is it's nice to kind of get together and pick each other's brains about it because it's something that we all really enjoy and. I know this seems very interviewee, but I actually did want to ask you, Mike, because I remember growing up, you were never into stories like you were into movies, you're into videos, you're into music. But I feel like you were never into books. You were, And I don't really remember you writing except for music. So like, what was the thing that made you interested in wanting to write stories? Well, I did write stories. I tried writing a rock opera when I was in high school, <laughs> which like I, I, I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And I started the script and I like I definitely am glad it's destroyed somewhere because it was so terrible. <laughs> it was so cheesy. And I, I don't know exactly when I started the idea of writing, when I wanted to, to start on a writing story. It was just something that was challenging to me. I guess the main thing that, that really started me on the aspect of writing was that class I took at school, which was an English class, which repeated. And I think I've told the story on the podcast before that I did not want to take this English class. I transferred over to Idaho and they made me take another English class. And it was like one of the best classes I've ever taken in school, period. It taken, took, took, took. Took? Yeah. Took it. It's the best one I've ever taken. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because specifically, it did two things. First of all, it was like, don't worry about making the perfect writing right away, which is the hardest aspect for me because I like going back and editing and editing and Mm -hmm. editing instead of just finishing. I like trying to perfect while I'm going. And the class, the number one theme that the teacher had for the class was free writing, which was don't worry about editing. Just go ahead and start writing and don't go back. Don't hit. Don't worry about spelling. Just go. And that was huge. That informed a whole bunch about how I write music, how I write stories and stuff. And I just try and push it out and then go back and edit later. And then that class also taught me kind of with the free writing, just go ahead and, and tell a story of some part. And it was at that point that I was thinking about 
books and video games and music and how stories are told through different mediums. And uh, that's kind of right when we started 1L2N was like almost after that class finished. Oh, okay. Because it was that class. It was another class where I had to make a podcast. And I was like, this is so much fun. I've been missing this. I've been missing the, <laughs> the keyboards and the stuff. Now, I know. Okay, so for me, I love like fantasy and romance and sci-fi. Mm. But those are like the three genres that I'm like, yes, give me all day, every day. Please and thank you. But I notice that when you write your stories, it's never usually about a specific genre. It's more about the feeling you get when reading it. So do you have like a genre that you that would be like your ultimate conquest to write or something that you would just absolutely love to write or? So I love sci-fi. I love the idea of sci-fi and writing it. The biggest problem with sci-fi, though, is I feel like you could write a lot of dumb sci-fi. I've almost finished a sci-fi story, and it's dumb in terms of hardcore science fiction. Like, if you want to talk about gravitational pull of planets and you have to use, like, specific calculations for it. And, like, I feel I feel like the problem with sci-fi is that you can either have sci-fantasy, it's kind of like Star Wars, where it's like, anything goes. There's yeah. explosions in space you can hear. Or you have to be... <laughs> so strict you're like okay our bone density is going to be a little bit lower because we didn't have the gravitational pull of this planet when we were growing up so therefore you're going to be a little bit weaker whenever you go to a different planet like you know there, there's no real in between oh yeah it's either like all or nothing total fantasy or total no you didn't calculate the proper degrees in kelvin for this space station like you know. i can't believe in these aliens because their gravitational force is off and you're like okay Calm down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, I think, the problem is I, I really want to write sci-fi, but I have to get over that hurdle of knowing that just like any other genre, there's going to be people that go, that is so unrealistic. But my stories aren't about a genre, really. They are more about characters with that are set within a genre. Yeah, you're very yeah. character based. You want to tell a good story with interesting characters that no matter what genre, it will still pull you in. At least from my perspective, that's what I've seen you, with your writing. Yeah. I wrote a story. I don't know why. I just wrote it and we'll be working on it soon. And it's basically about a girl hunting. It's such a super, super simple concept of her trying to hunt a deer. But it was more fun to write that because it was more of a how can I explore a character without any other characters interacting with this you know main character and i i liked how i did it it's different it's not great but it's just something different and fun and i think that the more you can try and explore unique ideas with story writing and go for me personally and this is you know so don't take this as a, an offense or anything i don't I'm so offended. i don't go <laughs> yeah i don't think of genre first yeah i sort of I think of genre as a backdrop to characters. So we'll get right into the tabletop RPGs, right? Okay. Because, yeah, that's, yes. that's what we'll... <laughs> so Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> Pathfinder, whatever you want to play. I think one of the things that interests me most is combat seems pretty fun, but it also seems more of a tedious measure. And I, I every time I watch somebody play a tabletop RPG like Dungeons and Dragons, I really enjoy when they have characters that they stay true to the, the role playing aspect. And especially when like the combat aspect is coming around and they are fighting. But let's say they are scared of cats and they're fighting against the cat. And instead of, you know, casting the spell to win the battle, they run away. Like that is much more interesting to me than the actual combat itself. So I think that. I 
enjoy the character interactions in specific situations, the choices that they would make within those situations and how they grow much more than I enjoy the overall setting that something is in. And I think good, good role-playing and tabletop RPGs have characters that make those mm-hmm. tough choices as opposed to just trying to win. Yeah. Well, I guess it also depends upon the kind of player that you have as well, because you could have someone that's like, this is a game I'm trying to win. Mm-hmm. But you could also have people who are like, this is an interactive game. I have to do what my character would do. And I feel like that's yeah. like a hard line for some people that they're like, yes, my character would do this, but I want to win. But I, my character would do this. And it's like a almost good and evil on the shoulder sort of situation yeah. for him. I, I think it's the same way writers write stories a lot of times, too. It's because they'll go, I have a character that needs to win. And they forget that the character is unique and has to make their own decisions. And instead, they just put them in situations and the character magically becomes something that they weren't before. Yeah. You don't see that change, that growth. You don't understand it. But for some reason, it's so much more satisfying when you have that little click and you go, oh, yeah, okay, now I understand why they would go from point A to point B within this cool setting. I think, you know, marrying the, the great characters with the unique genres is really the challenge. But I think the hardest aspect of that is the characters because the genres seem to be a little bit easier in terms of what you want to do. Yeah. So I don't know, Amy. What what do you what do you like? What do you like, Amy? For, How do you write for, stories? Tell me stories. Uh well, it de- it depends. Well, I mean, usually I come up with a concept, right? I mean, that's how story writing works. But mm-hmm. I come up with an idea and then I figure out the world that it would best fit in. Would this best fit in sci-fi? Would this best fit in fantasy? And then from there I kind of branch out what it would be from that now is your idea usually a concept based or a plot point based idea it's usually okay this is what happens or like is what like what would happen if cats were on the moon like that sort of thing <laughs> you yeah. but usually it's like one scene like there's this one scene that comes to mind like i have currently i have this story that's that's been slowly brewing about this person who's like dressed in like a really nice like suit with like a tie and maybe it's sort of like an olivey green suit or whatever and they've got like a ridiculous hat on and they're wearing a mask and they're kind of like sitting up on a rock and there's a group of people talking and this character that has a mask slowly interjects right and everyone kind of freaks out and we're like who are you where did you come from that's the scene I had in my head and I said cool how can I make a story out of this and usually with stories that's how it goes so currently I'm in the process of like okay well who who is that person who in the mask? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they that gray area of in between? Are they a god? Are they a magician? Are they a robot from outer space? What would make sense for this moment that they're all kind of coming together? So I have a lot of moments like that where I like a scene kind of comes into my brain and is like, hey, hey, think about this scene for like the rest of your life. (laughs) And then I usually try to like base a story off of it by going to that point, say it's in the middle of the story, and then spider webbing from that point to figure out what's the story? Who is this person? Why does it matter? Would they be interesting or not? For I mean, for that scene that I have in my head, I have a few different things going, but I don't know yet. I don't have the answers to those questions. But usually when I create stories, 
stories, I slowly from that point start answering those, who is that person? Oh, well, that person's this person. And they do this and they find them there and they go over here. You know, that's that's usually how I create stories. And because I like sci-fi and fantasy and romance, those are usually the ones that I want to go after, usually fantasy more so than not, because real life to me is very boring <laughs> or, you know, really sad. So, but, so why not, if you're going to be sad and bored, have like a high fantasy background to it, you know? <laughs> so I think it's less about the character development straight away and more about what am I seeing and how did I get to this point? And then I add the character development from there. Like when we were doing, oh gosh, I can't remember what creative prompt it was. Oh, streak. I could see a metal hand with like viscera falling off of its hand. And I said, how am I getting to that point? Then I kind of worked backwards and I worked sideways and upways and figured out where I was getting to get to that story. Hopefully that's all cohesive. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I feel like I do that a little bit. So the big story that I eventually want to tell is the Silver Seas, right? Yeah. And I think the the thing is that's held me back is doing what you were saying. Like, oh, I have this idea and then I have to figure out how to make that idea work. I think that instead, when I start writing that stuff again, I am mm-hmm. going to just take what I've already written, edit out a bunch of it, and then just create a story from there. Think about the how would the characters interact? We have a world, right? And we have a bunch of rules of this world. And we have the very basis for the ideas of how the different factions interact. Mm-hmm. And then I just want to go, you know what? How would the characters interact with these new challenges? And when I write, I think I want to write instead of going, I need the characters to get to this plot point, figure out the crazy plot points along the way because of the characters' challenges and and interactions. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting way to go about things. But I mean, that's also like the cool plot of being artistic. It's like sometimes when people are painting something, they draw an outline of the whole thing and then they paint it from there. Whereas sometimes people are like, I want a blue background today. And they paint a blue background and they're like, cool, we're doing fish now because that's what I want. I feel like you're more of a planner in that sense of like, you're very intentionable, intentionable, intention, intentional. Oh, intentional. Intentional. There we go. You're very intentional about your story writing and how you want an audience to feel and perceive your characters. Whereas I'm very intentional about making sure the scene that I had in my head comes out comes out and creates a story. So cool. it's very interesting. I, I think the thing that getting slightly back to tabletop rpgs is oh, yeah. i i think i like the idea of being a game master specifically because i can have a bunch of characters around the table interacting in the way that their characters would mm-hmm. figure out ways to challenge those inner like those individual characters and then create a story based upon that yeah and the more i watch other gms do it and the way that they take notes about like, oh, this character said this thing like offhanded, but I'm going to bring that back in a couple episodes. It's so genius to me because it makes them feel like not only was the players part of the story, but they actually made the story. But yeah. in reality, it's it's more of like the game master guiding them through this story, guiding them through the character changes. So it's, it's like a, it's a it's a partnership. It's a give and yeah. take and a play back and forth to make sure that both of you are doing your job telling a story together. And I think 
that is a little bit more of that we'll let the characters interact style whereas yours i've watched i've watched some game masters do kind of the same idea where they say i have this very specific idea and i need to figure out how to get the characters to that specific idea and figure out how to guide it along the way mm-hmm. so i'm not saying it's a great way <laughs> i'm just saying oh, that's no, how i do things <laughs> i'm not saying it's a bad way either i think it that there needs to be a mixture of both right you, you should have an idea of where you want your story to go without yeah. being aimlessly wandering and that's what i have with the silver seas i have an idea where i want the story to go but do i need the characters to end up on the boat at this specific time so that this other thing can happen mm. and you know no i don't like that is not as interesting because then oftentimes for me it feels forced at least in my writing style what we should so. do is we should play a, a D session of the silver seas to help you get your juices flowing already thought about that that'd be so uh, great yeah. i mean that's yeah. how the expanse did it the expanse was a tabletop oh my gosh okay was it, it was like starfinder or something no well, i don't know basically they created an rpg or an mm sorry an mmo mmo what is it what's the word? mmorpg yeah thank you and it got rejected and they were like well we really like these characters let's create a D&D session. So they did a D&D, D&D session of it. They loved it. And they were like, dude, let's write a book based off of it. So then they wrote a book based off of it. And then it got so popular that they made a TV show off of it. And then the TV show became so popular that it became a video game. So full circle. <laughs> it's it's the greatest success story. And it's had so many iterations. Yeah. And I love that. But that would be really cool, especially if you're trying to figure out what to do or trying to help like with the interaction of craft, you don't have to take our ideas or whatever, but that would be yeah. a really interesting way to help write a story is to say, okay, here's the parameters. Here's the world that we have. Let's make a D&D session and then make a book I, off yeah. of it, you know? I think one of the hardest parts, and I, I could be wrong here, I, there's, so, uh, all right, this goes to live performance, right? <laughs> we can get into yeah. improv and everything yeah. here. There's such a different type of energy when you're all in the same room mm-hmm. versus being online. Yes. And right now we're approximately 2,500 miles apart. Just a few, so, just a few miles. Yeah. It's not like I can just hop over there and do a, a, a session of some tabletop. Even though I have those ideas in my mind and I get excited for it. Like when I when I saw everybody in, during Christmas and we played our one shot, it was great. It was super fun. I think everybody really enjoyed it. Even like Liam, who didn't seem like he was enjoying it that much, seemed like he came up afterwards like, yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that. And it's just because I think everybody's together working it out, trying to figure out like different, different problems, you know. And I, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more difficult if we do it online. Now, of course, we can have the camera set up and, you know, it gets a little bit more difficult if you're doing a map online and then everybody has to have the same software or yeah. you have to have some sort of camera showing the the actual layout and say, which way do you want to move? You want to move this way? What do you want to do? So it, it becomes a, like a little bit of a barrier. But I definitely think that improving stories is a really good way to try and flush out the world that you're in and take the good ideas take the bad ideas maybe you can talk about this maybe not super in depth because i i've really seen it but so critical roles first campaign and the legend of vox machina tv series i'm assuming they don't follow it beat for beat that they change up a little bit here or there but not a super amount like they follow the overall main plot points but then there might be some small interactions that were like well they didn't say exactly that 
Yeah, for the most part, it does actually follow along with the story pretty well. But because you're condensing thousands of hours worth of whatever into 23 minute episodes or whatever it is, there is definitely a lot that they cut out. Or if this scene and this scene in the original campaign happened separately, they kind of combined it to work it in to both of them. Or they'll do nods yeah. to things that happen. But there is a lot that they have to cut out because, you know, there's just a lot that happens. And of course, hours worth of battle happens within 30 seconds on screen time. But I think they... From the most part, from what I've seen, they've done a very good job of keeping the important beats of the story and the important like phrases or interactions that were said still true to the show. So you're correct. They do have to change some things. They do try change some of the dialogue. But overall, it's actually very similar to the campaign itself, which I was very surprised about. Except, you know, better quality. <laughs> yes. But they are probably taking the key good moments or the funny moments and keeping them and getting rid of so much more. Oh, there might yeah. have been an entire episode of them just like shopping or wandering around that was just like, dude, this contributes nothing to the story or what we're trying to say or tell. And or maybe even small, like, I'm sure a lot of small fights or small encounters. Oh, absolutely. There's so much editing that you have to do to get a story but I think that you could use, which obviously they have, a role-playing type experience, get people together, get them in the same mindset, which I think is also the most important thing. Because like you said, there's some people that are like, I am here to play a game. And when I play a game, I crunch my numbers and I win. I don't fail at it. And I'm kind of the same way with playing games, unless I know, okay, this is an RPG, like we're play, we're role playing, and we're telling a story. And that is the fun of it is to tell a story. Because I don't, I can't imagine any tabletop session that was pure combat would be fun for me. If it yeah, was like nothing so, but no. like a 12 session dungeon crawl, I'd be like, this is the most boring thing in the world. <laughs> sure, some people out there be like, yes, combat. But no. yeah, well, I kind of think that that's the beauty of RPGs is that you have that mix of everything. You have the mix of the combat and the role play and the puzzles, because even though some DMs don't use puzzles. I do think having puzzles in the game, it can really bring your team together. It's nice teamwork. You're still working all together. You can RP a little bit while you're doing it. And I think the combination of all of those is what makes RPGs so much fun because it, you're like you're saying, it's not back-to-back -back sessions of you just doing combat the entire time. There's things different. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to, what's going to happen. I mean, you have an idea like, okay, we might do a battle this, this episode. But for the most part, it's that idea of like, you're getting to explore, you're getting to interact, you're getting to solve things, you're getting to fight things, you're getting to figure things out. Like all of that kind of combined and mixed together makes the RPGs better and makes you want to play more rather than like, if like you're saying, if it's like a 12 session thing of like back to back combat, you're like, cool, I'll do like one of these and then I'm good. I don't need to do an RPG again. But it's that mixture of all of them that keeps people coming back. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing when you tell a story or when you. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, when you when you play a video game, there is a gameplay loop, right? And we'll use Minecraft as the example because it's the perfect example for it. 
your first part of that loop is gathering resources. Well, realize your first part is exploration. So you're wandering around. And while you're wandering around, you're also gathering resources. And so you're you're deciding what you want to do. Then you have a crafting section where you have to then start building a house or something, start building some tools. Then you go back to gathering. You go do a little bit more exploring. You do a little bit more construction, gathering and exploring and construction. It's this constant like loop that you're then you you decide what goal you want. Okay, I want to build this ridiculous compound or whatever and you go okay i need this much material so you slowly expand it out but that same core gameplay loop is there and it's the same thing with stories and i I would say definitely movies as well you can look at this in action movies there's oftentimes where you will be watching a movie and superhero movies do this almost too much unfortunately (laughs) where you will be watching a scene that's very heartfelt and then immediately it's an action sequence for five minutes and then it goes back to more mystery and more exploring and a little bit of comedy and then an action sequence and it's that constant loop that is recycling and sometimes it works really, really well. And sometimes you go, ah, all right, come on. There's a little too much fighting here, a little mm-hmm. too much, you know, punching each other for no apparent reason, which is interesting because if you look at like older action movies, older any superhero movie that's older where they're coming down to their big final fight sort of thing like it's over pretty quickly yeah you know it's just like a couple hits and it's done and then you you look at what marvel and dc have done to their movies and the climax of it is a 10 minute explosion fest giant battle and you kind of just go all right we need to de-escalate the situation here we need to go back to that core loop when you're doing your different role playing or character development and you need to figure out what is a good balance where you can ramp it up and you can ramp up at the action but then all three of them kind of come together all at one point you go oh that was great not only did i get character development and action but it solved the mystery at the same time or something stupid you know that that's i think when a, a script really peaks yeah oh i'd agree even watching a movie where it's just all dialogue or you know just all character interaction and no action or no mystery it's like i understand a lot of those are artistic but for me i don't gravitate towards those kind of scripts because it seems like they're they're stuck in that one section of the storytelling part was just literally telling a story but it's not interesting because it's just it's just dialogue. It's like following a person along. And I'm not saying you have to have the action or the drama or the mystery, but you have to have something to make it interesting to continue watching. And I find that a lot of times these like movies that are getting high praise that have stories like that where it's just, hey, I'm just talking about this sheep farmer in Ireland for two hours and his daily life. You're like, okay, great. What's Uh, It's just about his daily life. And people are like, it was just so expressive and just really went into the heart of like the the people of Ireland. And you're like, it was filmed really nicely. And that's what you liked about it. You didn't care about the story because if you cared about the story, it wouldn't have mattered what the graphics were, how it was filmed. But because of the way that it was filmed very artistically, that's what actually really captures you. And so I'm just not a big fan of those movies, but I find that there's a lot of movies like that recently, at least that I feel like have come out that it just it's all about the cinematography aspect and less about the storytelling aspect it's like they're putting in place the cinematography to make up for lack of story at least that's how i feel but no i mean i could see that i i would say if you're looking for a movie and i mean it's considered a classic 
12 Angry Men is just about a bunch of jurors and they're all debating whether or not this one kid is guilty of a crime. And 11 of the jurors are like, yep, he's guilty. Let's get out of here. And one juror is like, let's go ahead and just examine this. Let's think about this. And it is one of the most engaging scripts. It is primarily set in a single room. So it's more of like a, uh, a stage play than it actually was a movie. And it's from the 50, 59, something like that. So it's in black and white, but man, it is such a good movie because what they do with it is they they give engaging points where you're like, ooh, this is a little bit of a mystery all of a mm -hmm. sudden. And you're more trying to figure out how juror number whatever his number was, we'll say seven, juror number seven, how he's trying to change the minds of all the other jurors to not guilty. And the, the tension there is figuring out ways to combat that. And it's all in a single room, but it's a really good story that explores different characters and it doesn't necessarily have the big, well, it doesn't have action pieces or set pieces or something like that. But on another note, kind of thinking about that, I think uh, movies have a really unique storytelling aspect, and that is the the cinematic experience of it. The mm -hmm. the oh, larger than life, the cool visuals, they do add something to a, a regular story that you can't tell just in a book. In a book, you can imagine something and it's great. It might be really, really descriptive, but it gets to the point when if you're two pages describing a cityscape and you're like, okay, I don't really need to know about the cityscape. That's not the important part here. Mm -hmm. Whereas a movie can describe the cityscape with its visuals at the exact same time as telling a story. And I feel like when movies are being made cheaper and cheaper now, there is definitely an aspect to it where the visuals are often lacking. And you will notice this is day for night in movies where oh, they I film something during the day and transition because it's cheaper. It's easier to do. But it doesn't look cinematic, you know, it doesn't yeah. look You're like it looks like it's filmed in the day and there's a dark filter on it because that's exactly what yeah. it is. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. If you want to tell it at night and yes, you can light like crazy at night and still let, get the experience that it's nighttime. Well, yeah, like Tommy was saying a while back about how they filmed the the fight at Helm's Deep where they were like, but it's nighttime. Where are all these lights going to come from? They're like, who cares? No one's going to mm -hmm. care. You need to see the battle. Just light the field up. It's fine. Actually, Lord of the Rings is a really great example. Like the Peter Jackson trilogy is a great example of cinematography over realism for a lot of things where, you know, when they're going through the mines of Moria, you can still see them, but it's a mine. There's no sunlight and it's OK to have light illuminating them. When Sam and Frodo are going through uh, Shelab's she lair, Sheila, Shelab, yeah, yeah it's the like spider's that. lair. Yeah, <laughs> you can see it. It's a cave, but they're they've done cinema cinematograph they've cinematographic lighting. <laughs> <laughs> We're really nailing the English today. Yeah, yeah, words are great. They do they do a lot of lighting and, you know, you basically you can see the characters, you can see the depth, you can see mm -hmm. the settings around it. And it's okay to do that in cinema to give the the viewer a different detail that you don't have to describe with words. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's really beneficial. Like I, Liam's not here, so we can talk about it. But Blade Runner 2049 is like one of the most beautiful cityscapes in a movie that I've seen because it's so 
dark and weird sounding and it's the, the the choices that they use to film it are fantastic and it tells a totally different story than what's going on on screen but it's it's just so wonderful to look at visually oh a visually stunning movie which okay thinking about someone who's visually impaired do you think that there are movies out there that hold just as much weight without that cinematography? Well, sure. It just depends upon what type of movie you're going for. So if I go back to the 12 Angry Men example, that movie you don't necessarily need to see to experience. And I don't think you need to hear to experience. Same thing. Like if, if you had some sort of hearing challenge, if you were in the 70s and you watched A New Hope come out, for Star Wars and you were like this is not that good but it's just because you couldn't hear John Williams score I don't think it was just John Williams score that made that movie you know I don't I don't think it's any single aspect that makes a movie fantastic because if it is people would be like well the score was great but the movie was junk and it's very easy to distinguish between the two same thing where the visuals were fantastic but the rest of it was terrible if you want a really great piece of media don't spend all of your time focusing on one aspect. And if you do focus on one aspect, please, dear God, make it the script. Make it a really <laughs> compelling, engaging script. Oh, Everything man. else can follow. So you're saying I can't focus on a fantasy genre. I got to focus on the plot points and the character development. Ugh. Yeah. Just kidding. Spe- okay. Speaking of creating stories and going back to RPGs. I was thinking about this, and a lot of the stuff that I've seen have complex political and religious backgrounds in them. Do you think for story building that would be that's a necessary element? And it could be RPGs. It could be anything, I guess. I guess it depends on how in-depth you want to, to make your specific world and how in-depth you want your characters to be. Of course, you could have something that has a lot of really... We'll go back to Silver Seas. We created different forms of government for different factions and histories behind that. We created, you know, entities that are are bigger and almost magical in nature that are gigantic, that are like hidden and how people view them and how it's gone. And, you know, it's the, well, magic used to be here, but it's no longer like that old trope. And <laughs> we created this giant world. So when I go to tell the, the story that I want to tell there and I explore it through the characters, I know how the characters can interact and I can go instead of just going, well, this person likes cheese. That is their main character trait. I can be like, well, they like cheese, but they also hate monarchies and they had their brother die because of this. And like you can go really in depth and try and figure out what motivates character because there's no one thing that I, I do hate the idea of specifically like revenge characters. When they go, you know, you killed my family member and now I'm going to kill all of you. And it's like that can't just be the only motivation for a specific character unless it's John Wick and it's a dog. And then it makes total sense. It's like, <laughs> go for it, man. You're like, like absolutely. Yes. My dude. And that's a that's a great example of of not needing a great script and still making it entertaining and interesting movie. At least the first one. I haven't yeah. seen the second or third or fourth. By the time I started watching the third movie, I was like, all right, I'm like, I don't need to finish this movie. I'm good. I get it. It's John Wick. He's still fighting. Whatever. Yeah. That so that is that is a good point. Cause I feel like a lot of times I don't want to include like political or religion 
or political or religious aspects to a story. But I do like that idea of like, you can't just have someone that wants revenge because I feel like it gets to a point. It's like, okay, well, if they get the revenge, then who are they? What do they do? And that could be an interesting plot point of uh, the, the beginning of a story of meeting a character who finally got their revenge and now they have to figure out what to do with their life. But if the entire story is about one person trying to get revenge, then it's, you're right that that's it's like lacking something interesting to follow along. And at what point is it no longer about the revenge and it's more about I have nothing else going for me? I think that was an interesting aspect of Arya in Game of Thrones is her character just became from the end of season one. It was like, I need to get revenge and I'll figure out a way to do it. And as she went it wasn't just about their revenge, especially when she met the Hound. The interaction between those two became like, a, OK, we'll do this together. Like, yeah, we're still going to get revenge, but there was something more. And it was something deeper where she started to learn, OK, maybe revenge isn't the only thing. And maybe I'm going to get hurt while doing it. That sort of thing. I, I think that was the, the revenge plot line that I really liked is because it, along the way, she was motivated by revenge, but it started to change as yeah. she progresses as a character and that's that can be something as long as it's not a, i guess that all right i'll take it back revenge can be a fantastic motivator but <laughs> if it's the only motivator and it doesn't change the character along the way as they interact with the world then to me it's boring because it's just like okay you're one tone same thing with villains if think of half of the superhero villains out there yeah where they're like i am going to get revenge because you killed my blank like, on Ugh. accident yeah. Get over yourself. We get it. Like new Star Trek with Chris Pine, the first one, where oh yeah, like the where whole he just waited for thirty years. Yeah, just so he could kill Spock and get rid of the Federation to make them hurt, just like he hurt because of an accident. And it's like that's kind of low key bad writing, bro. <laughs> and I, huh. yeah, like I love Wait, the movie. Is it crazy that the person who wrote that script is now in charge of writing? Most of the new Star Trek TV shows, which are also the exact same cheesy script writing. Oh, are they? I haven't seen any of the new ones. I want to, but they're on like Paramount. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I don't care to see them because I've heard nothing but junk about them. I do want to see because they got seven and nine back and whoo, what a bombshell <laughs> she still is. And Mika Burton is actually playing her father's on-screen daughter which i was like that's pretty cool yeah you want to watch the last season of picard which i hear is different i don't yeah. know if it's <laughs> i haven't seen anything else but i'm like i'd love to see the last season that'd be great right <laughs> yeah so just as an idea alex kurtzman is one of the writers for the 2009 star trek he also has written some really great stuff let's go ahead oh boy so he started off writing hercules and xena on tv so great no they're fantastic great. what are you yeah. talking about yeah. if he they totally uh, hold up to this day <laughs> at all. <laughs> 2007 transformers <laughs> and transformers revenge of the fallen <laughs> no and, yeah he did write cowboys and aliens he wrote the screenplay oh. for that which i liked and hated at the same time so i don't know i thought it was an interesting concept I, but it's just like eh, yeah whatever same thing with Star Trek. It was like, okay, kind of cheesy. Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, <laughs> yeah. He's got a um, great script going yep. for him. 
2017's The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise. Oh, the one that was supposed to launch the monster universe or the Universal Monsters universe, and like it bombed so bad. Yeah, it was basically an entire movie just to show all of the cool stunts that Tom Cruise could could do. There was like this moment. I don't know. Have you seen it? (laughs) No, I have no desire. There's this moment where he has to like dive through this like cave like structure and it's going on for like five minutes. I'm like, he's dead. He's for sure dead. There's no way. And but it's just like it's just him still swimming. And I'm like, this is so boring to watch. Like, please just move on to the next scene. But every stunt scene was longer than actual plot point scenes because it was just like, look how cool Tom Cruise is doing his own stunts. We're like, all right, bro. Yeah, but he also like the mission impossible movies the later ones well the first one's like super script oriented and then the later ones are super action oriented but they're so good with their cinematography and their action it's like okay this is actually pretty decent yes but the mummy not, no i guess the mummy not yeah. <laughs> no well i'm i'm sure there's there's some other junk there but yeah uh anyway alex kurtzman he's the person responsible for all new <laughs> star trek he was like the main showrunner on picard and discovery and strange new worlds and some other stuff so yeah i i i've given up on new star trek it is not the same it is not a it is not an exploration of humanity that has gotten past their terrible squabbles with each other and now they are united against scientific pursuits and the exploration and knowledge and you know humanitarian and it's not a mature people in star trek instead it's a bunch of people that are like doing what we are currently doing with our society but in space in the future which is totally not what star trek was to me going up but yeah that's that's my rant <laughs> so duly noted don't emulate his writing style okay yeah i think he's also a really good example of not knowing how to de-escalate like everything has to be bigger there has to be some oh, sort yeah. of you know, universe ending thing. And I am so much more invested in stories now that are small than large world ending things, which is, you know, I will bring it up again. Marvel, I'm not interested in the phase four or five because like every single movie, every single TV show is like the universe is going to end. And it's like, why can't we just have that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which is just going, all right, I'm going to get the the hunt hunter guy i don't remember what his name is but Uh, like (laughs) he's he's swinging around the city hunting people and i'm gonna stop him like make it small and it's so much more interesting and then when you do a big avenger style you know team up movie you have a bunch of characters who have dealt with small things learning how to deal with something much bigger and it's great it's so much more entertaining i think and i think that's a problem i think marvel has ruined a lot of movies for people because it is that like how how can we go bigger how can't we go better it's like okay well we just had this world ending event with avengers so now for our single movies again we have to go bigger than we did for avengers it's like no you don't you can go back because that's like the whole point of the the comics is that they would all team up when something big and crazy was happening but then they would go back to their small town small city or big city events that were happening And then, oh, no, another world ending thing is happening. Okay, let's all assemble again. Like, I think, and, you know, sometimes one of the the bad guys or the villains required more than one hero. And so it'd be like a mini team up. And you're like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, it's cool. But when it's just like this onslaught of the world is always ending, 
you're just like, I'm over it. I don't care. And I think that's the problem is that a lot of people have taken that inspiration, seeing how well the Marvel movies have done and go, okay, what world ending event can we have happen three times in the same movie? And we're like, don't, don't Marvel this. You know what I want to watch? I want to watch a superhero movie about a superhero that ran out of milk to make pancakes and they're like (laughs) distraught and they have to go to the store to buy milk and they can't find it and they're going all over the city and they're using their powers to try and find milk. That to me is so much more entertaining right now than, oh, by the way, the earth is going to (laughs) explode. Like... Okay, let it explode, please. Then we wouldn't have to watch this <laughs> almost explode. Let it explode, but as long as the superhero gets his milk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the plot twist for that is that it's actually like their significant other's birthday, and he they were specifically requested pancakes for breakfast for their birthday. And at the very end, the person was like, I'm so sorry, I ruined your birthday. And they're like, my birthday's tomorrow. Yeah. And they're like, and then ah! To be continued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or they finally get the milk and they realize they don't have eggs and it like zooms out and it just keeps zooming out and at the house there and it's dramatic music and it's zooming into the sky. And it's just yeah. like directed by Alex Kurtzman. No, <laughs> I, I think de-escalation is a huge thing that people forget because they're like, we have to make it bigger and better. And you don't have to. You just have to make it better. And that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean bigger. Just In make fact, it better. Usually it doesn't. Make it different. Make it unique. Bigger, better. Who cares about that? Make it unique. Well, do you think that, because I mean, we don't know about Hollywood, but do you think that there are people who are trying to make things unique, but because of that Marvel effect, they're like, it's not going to sell. It doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you have to think that movie studio executives are not idiots. They are they know what they're doing mm-hmm. for the most part. Right. They know the risk that they, they need to take. It's a financial con- ca- calculation to say we are going to spend 10 million dollars making some small indie movie and hopefully it grosses 25 million dollars total. That's great. Cool. Or they could spend 200 million dollars and have a giant, you know, blockbuster summer thing and hope that it makes $400 million and their chances of success in the $200 million adventure is probably a little bit better than the the $10 million one that gets swept under the rug and nobody knows about it. I'm sure they know what they're doing in those calculations. They're looking at the, the market in general. It's not people like you or I who can look at a movie and go, okay, here's the flaws near, here's the really good things. It's more of people going like, I want to take my date somewhere. So I heard there's a brand new superhero thing out. I'm just going to go there so that we can make out without having to pay attention to the movie or kids or whatever. I, I understand the movies are not being made for us because we as people are not going to pay for those movies that we say we really want. Well, I will say the A24 films, I feel like they're doing a good job. I mean, some of theirs are hit or miss. But I feel like they're doing a good job. A lot of misses. <laughs> no, well, yes yeah, no. It's, it's yeah. It, it, I think that Universal is starting to do, do that now. I watched a a review thing on Red Letter Media on YouTube. Go check them out if you haven't. They're fantastic. And they were talking about how Universal is starting to make lower budget movies, you know, in the $30 million range. I think they were specifically talking about Cocaine Bear. And 
you know, how ridiculous of a concept it is to make a movie like that, which you would never have gotten five years ago for a major studio. So A24, Universal, I think the the lower or mid-budget films are really interesting to see, and it might push it a bit because, you know, everything comes in waves, right? We're going to probably have superhero movies die off quite a bit because we've just been injected with them. They obviously stopped production of most Star Wars movies after they realized like, oh, we almost ruined a franchise. Not ruined, but, you know, they a lot of people lost faith in it. And you can take it as all right. Game of Thrones had a massive following, right? It was like one of the biggest things. It was a cultural phenomenon. And if season eight for Game of Thrones was good, they could have had a repetitive billion dollar franchise. They would have had theme parks where there was like, here's the Game of Thrones theme parks. Here's all this merchandise. People would have been buying different house shirts, just like people still do for Harry Potter. It would have been a massive merchandising thing, but they screwed it up on one season and all of a sudden nobody cares about it. Right. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, Game of Thrones. It's my they're like, no, everybody everybody hates it. So they lost so much money potential off of just the merchandise alone. And I think that's what a lot of studios are going to start to it. They're going to go, okay, we cannot make more Star Wars. We cannot make more Marvel because people are starting to pull back. And if they pull back, then we might lose them for forever versus just a temporary you know, loss of money because they didn't go see one film. I think they're looking at that calculation and going, is it one film or is it a theme park admission? Is it a t-shirt? Is it a toy that we are really selling versus just the film? No, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, it's interesting because we don't really know that. I mean, there's so much like quote unquote politics around making these movies and the decisions to make them and go forth that we, you know, we can only speculate But I feel like there's always going to be the movies that are just going to be crowd pleasers, like superhero movies or like high action movies or a scary movie, a horror movie, that kind of thing. But I think that if they really took their time to tell good stories, more people would be interested in wanting to continue to go to the theaters and wanting to continue that movie experience. Because, I mean, going to the movies was... It's a whole experience, right? It's like a whole thing. And you talk about it and other people are like, man, I want to go see the movies now. But now, I mean, I don't know if it's to do with COVID or with crappy storytelling or whatever is happening, I feel like there's less and less people who care about movies necessarily to make them interested enough to continue that feeling of like, yeah, let's all go to the movies this weekend. And now it's just like, yeah, let's hang out and I guess we'll watch, you know. For me, the best stories are on TV. Oh, ab- there's yeah, absolutely. so much good TV out there that why would I want to go to the movies and spend $20 for two tickets at a minimum mm-hmm. and then spend and another $40 for concessions just to go get one drink each and a tub of popcorn to share. And you basically spend two hours doing that. Or you can subscribe to whatever streaming service you want for $15 a month. And all of a sudden, you've got so many more shows and movies and stuff like that. And you don't have to wear pants while you're watching them. You know, yeah, it's exactly. great. <laughs> Aaron and I 
we don't watch a lot of stuff together because she she watches TV like junk TV and she'll admit it's junk TV. And then I will watch some stuff on my computer, but I'll usually do music or homework and stuff like that. So we're not like together by the TV like a lot of families were every night. Mm -hmm. But we do watch shows together that are are big things. And like we just watched uh, The Last of Us and we loved it. She loves zombies. Like she'll watch any (laughs) terrible zombie show that's out there, period. And I like character pieces. And guess what? You have both there. Yay. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's there's so, so many good storytelling shows and it's available for so much cheaper. I think the theater needs to figure out a, a new draw or they need they, they need to either create a bunch more ridiculous movies like Cocaine Bear, where you're like, OK, I, this concept is why I'm going, not the actual execution, because that'll get people in seats. Or you need to start telling a engaging long form build up kind of like the infinity war saga that marvel did but even then it was like if you go back and watch a lot of those movies most of them aren't great just a couple (laughs) really good ones but it still it got you engaged to watch multiple things i don't know i think movies are gonna have to and i'm sure they're trying to figure it out now covid combined with streaming services and the quality that's on there you're gonna have to raise your your product quality to something even more just to get people and video games like i that's our generation and younger it's why would you want to go to the movies again for it's a bare minimum for you for like 20 bucks when you can buy a game on sale for 20 bucks that has like 30 hours of content. Absolutely. Well, and you can stream whatever you want, whether it's on Twitch, Netflix, HBO, whatever, mm-hmm. while you're playing that game. You can multifunction yeah. your entertainment, which I feel like a lot of people are also doing nowadays is that it's not just, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie. I feel like, I don't know if it's all of our collective ADHD or ADD. I don't know the difference between all of them. I apologize if I offended anybody. But since we have that attention span difficulty, I feel like whenever I'm watching something, I can't just sit down and watch it anymore. I have to be doing something else, whether it's crafting or playing a game on my phone and maybe that makes me a bad viewer but I want something that grips me so much that I have to put away all of my other entertainment right but until then I like playing video games and watching a tv show while I'm playing video games because then I can enjoy playing my video game and listen to whatever I'm listening to on the side you know I like that multifunction all fronts assaulting me with entertainment and I feel like I know there are people who don't like that yeah I do it and I hate when I do it I feel (laughs) I feel physically ill after I do it like I can't focus beyond anything my eyes are kind of just like they just don't point the right way i know that doesn't sound weird no but if i'm like if i'm on my phone and i'm watching a video and i get slightly bored and i switch over to like reading the news or some kind of social media type thing and i'm watching both at the same time if i do that for more than five minutes when i put my phone down like i got blurry vision i can't see straight i'm just like focusing (laughs) a couple inches in front of me and like i just feel blurry the rest of the day and it's actually a big problem that i'm trying to get rid of because I feel like it affects my schoolwork. I feel like it affects my work ethic because I've I've got like this, you know, super crack in a phone that's giving me all this entertainment all at once. And then all I want to do is like do it. So, you know, you wake up. The first thing you do is you start scrolling through whatever. And I want to I want to detox from it. I definitely think that it's probably our generation's biggest or actually not our generations. The the time in general, society's biggest problem right now is the the grip 
grip that it has over our lives. And I don't think it took it took me a long time to realize it. But yeah, I just got to I got to stop. I got to live in the woods. Everybody <laughs> should should live in the woods. <laughs> Quote of the day. Everyone should just live in the woods. I mean, really, aren't we all just living in the woods of life? No, a lot of us are in cities doing dumb city stuff. That used to go be to, woods. It's woods. fine. Hey, cities are also fine because you get that energy, the people, the interaction. You, know, you can do a lot of stuff, but uh, I feel like you're probably doing a lot of stuff on your cell phone. So live in the city without a cell phone. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure that'll go over real well. That was a great session. That, that was a great, I mean, I feel session like that's not a set. It's a podcast. It was a great podcast. Good job, Mike. High five. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, <laughs> great. We did it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this duo today. It's going to be our number one listen to episode is it just because it'll, of it'll get you or it'll get thousands well of course oh okay okay <laughs> yeah. thousands of listens within the first 24 hours oh okay it'll be beyond the most popular and then this will be the podcast from now on we'll just don't trim the fat get rid of the others It'd be great <laughs> so at but what point Mike does is... it just become me asking you questions the whole time and basically staying silent and you talking about everything um i think about two episodes after this one. Oh, okay so, okay yeah. yeah well let us know guys do you want an all mike all the time podcast let us know we are one l two n productions over on twitter instagram youtube and reddit and if you would like to help support us we have our patreon you can go head on over there and we also got a website one l two n productions.com you know the drill by now anyways last day of the where last word word of the day goes to i actually don't have a coin do you have a coin on you sure let me find my wallet it's tails yeah as me so last word of the day goes to me rigged <laughs> you're the one that flipped the coin <laughs> it's rigged so here's the scene you're sitting in a dusty old western bar the floors are covered in sawdust the atmosphere is a little grimy uh, sawdust and sand we'll say the atmosphere is a little grimy. You can smell the booze coming off of the old timers sitting in the corner. The seats worn down from their butts sitting on that day in, day out. And in walks the most beautiful, stupid looking sheriff you ever did see. And he walks up to the bartender and he says, I'd like an apple juice and milk shot, please. And the bartender says, here you go, Sheriff Bitcherton. This one's on me. Thank <laughs> you.